0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Primarily Context-Based. This podcast is a collaboration between CTO Craft and Skiller whale It was inspired by the Q&A site Stack Overflow, where questions have to have a single right answer. Questions can be closed and archived if they're considered primarily opinion-based. Well, we think that the most interesting questions don't have a single right answer, and they are primarily context-based. And in this podcast, we take one of those questions, talk about a range of answers and the context that makes those answers appropriate. I'm Howell Carver, I'm the CEO of Skillerwell, well where we do a unique form of training called targeted capability training, which means we deliver individually personalized, hands-on sessions with a live expert remotely in one-hour chunks to software development teams. I've been a CTO for the last 10 years, and I've run events called Tech Leader Dinners for the last three years. I've also been a CTO coach. And one of the things I found in all those roles is that the same questions come up in Many different places, but with different answers every time, because context is critical. In today's episode, we're going to be answering the question of should a CTO code? And here to help me answer that is Emanuele Blanco. Emanuele, welcome. Tell us about yourself.
1: Hi, Abel. Uh, well, I'm a CTO at MoneyFarm, a digital wealth manager. This is my first CTO role. And, you know, I come from a background of software engineering. So let's say that I used to do a lot of coding in my, in my days, in my younger days. So it's very, uh, I love this question about should the CTO code, I think it we'll would be very interesting to talk about it.
0: Yeah. And I think you've gone on quite a journey of growth at, at Moneyfarm, haven't you? Maybe you can talk about the size of the team when you joined and the size of the team now.
1: Yeah. So I started in Moneyfarm in 2017 as a lead software engineer. Uh, I think back then we had around like probably 15 or 20 people in technology. Now we have 45 people in technology across three offices. Yeah, the company has grown quite a lot. We have 55,000 customers. Uh, and yeah, it's been an interesting journey, right? From writing uh, code into making sure that uh, my team can serve uh, our customers well.
0: Mm. And I think, I think you're right that it's a, really, it's a really interesting question to be discussing and it relates really strongly to your experience because you've been on that kind of on that growth journey. Um, I find it particularly interesting because I've heard a lot of other people say that if you're coding then you're not a CTO which is a uh, a definition that I don't buy I don't agree with that at all it makes there's a a thing called the no true Scotsman fallacy where you say uh well if you know no Scotsman would do this. Oh, but this person does it. Oh, well, then they're not a true Scotsman. And the idea that if you code, you can't be a true CTO uh, seems really weird to me. It's not a position that's defined by what you can't be allowed to do in that position, right? I think being a CTO essentially means being um at the top of the tree in terms of strategy and management and leadership and thinking commercially on the technology side of a company and whether or not that involves coding is gonna depend a lot on what the rest of the company looks like. Um, maybe, it's, maybe you could tell us about how much you're still coding now and how that's changed over time. Yeah, so, well, first of
1: all, let me say that I completely agree with you. I don't think we can define CTOs by what they don't do, right? Every company is different, as we were saying. It's, it's a lot about the context, right? So there may be a need for somebody in a CTO position to code, and that's absolutely fine. It's not that they're not true CTOs. Um, I personally don't code anymore. Actually, we had a funny joke uh, in our organization. We do pull requests and we put like a ticket name at the beginning of, uh, of the name of the pull request. <laughs> and somebody told me that every time I do a pull request, I should do like CTO one or CTO two and then have a progressive number. Uh, I think I'm on CTO2. (laughs) I'm on CTO2 right now. So, and I've been having this role for one year, well, almost two years now. So as you can see, I don't really code that often. And and to be honest, I mean, for me, uh, it's really about, I have a a team which is of a significant size in a way, right? So I have people that are dedicated to code. I have people who are dedicated to manage engineers, like engineering manager and, you know, tech leads. Uh, So I have quite a well-formed team which i think is something that once you reach a point in time where you have 30 40 people you have to think about how to structure your team. Mm. And you know, because most of my day is about discussing strategies, about discussing where where do we go as an organization and how can i help the organization growing with technology. Uh, i just think that you know even sometimes i'm itchy for coding because you know this is like i love coding like that's what i, I was brought up with coding. Uh, it just doesn't feel right to me that i code because you know like uh, coding it's about ownership right who owns the owners? who owns the um, the systems of money farm in terms of like you know making sure they are, they're architected properly making sure they're well designed making sure that's testable and it's not me i need to make sure that those things happen but it's not me ultimately at the end of the day so you know it's like in when you are a developer sometimes you know, in the old days when you were doing waterfall or big corporations, sometimes you have this discussion, well, you know, the project uh, is 12 months and uh, 12 months is given by somebody that doesn't actually build the project. Right. Mm. And I think, you know, it's, it's a bit of the same angle here. Like if I code or if I go and tell people, you should do it this way. Well, but I'm not the one coding on a day-to-day basis. I'm not the one uh, accountable for that. So, uh, I think like I would be undermining the team in my position if I start coding or I start telling people how to code that, because you know like it's a bit the problem of the hippo, the highest paid person in the room. Like I go there and maybe I say something, and you know I don't follow c- technology trends as closely as people that code on a day-to-day basis will, and then my ideas may be wrong. And you know I'm not the one that ultimately needs to maintain the system, so why should I do that?
0: right, and i think there's a there 's a really important point there that micromanaging is just is bad for everyone isn 't it that kind of you as a you as a senior as the senior person in the tech organization the cto kind of trying to push things down onto people who are probably in the, who are closer to the code and closer to the problem and closer to the technology is going to be bad for for everyone there's another point there, which he raised, which is that there's a question of time in that most of your days you 're thinking about strategy in the long term of the organization, and coding is something that benefits from you being able to sit down and have a a decent uninterrupted period to kind of focus on solving a problem, which is often the opposite of how how someone in a executive role can operate because your your days are probably full of interactions and meetings and you know, planning and strategic things that are necessarily going to break up that kind of that flow time that you would otherwise spend coding.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. You're right. Uh, We we strive a lot to get like focus time for engineers in our organization to make sure they can actually focus on writing code. You know, there's always this uh, question about, do we have too many meetings, right? Every company asks themselves, themselves, do we have too many meetings? Do we spend too much time talking and not doing? And, you know, I think while for people sitting in leadership position, it's important. You know, for me, it's important to talk with other stakeholders, to talk with my CEO. It's it's basically what I need to do because I need to understand the context so I can guide the technology team to do the right choices. But if you don't have, as you said, if you don't have a focus time to code, well, actually. I'm not sure the quality of what you're building will be will be great. And then if you're not building something at quality, the whole organization suffers from it, right? Mm-hmm. Now, of course, this may be different if you are a 10 people company, if you are a five people company, and I talk about engineering sides here, not about the whole company size. Because you know, if you are CTO of a of a seed stage startup, even a CDSA most likely, mm-hmm. well, probably still some time you need to spend about coding because maybe you don't have the resources to have a team which is structured in a way in which you can uh, you know you can afford to step up of the key to step uh, away from the keyboard right I think really team size is critical because not many companies have resources to hire engineering managers or tech leads at the beginning it's just especially if you work in a startup environment at the beginning a CTO in a in a very early stage stand-up is a uh, is a bit of a, a, a super senior tech lead, so they need to build mm. something as well. And looking up at the strategy too. And then, once things become more complicated because you're bigger in size, and you know, like, uh, you, the problems start having a different magnitude. And you know, you found your product market fit, and you need to go and understand how can you get better at it. Then it's time to take a step back.
0: And I, I think that's exactly the exactly right about the the CTOs in those smaller teams who are who are not coding because because they're not really CTOs. They're coding because they don't have the option to not code. And so they're trying to do the work of thinking like a CTO while also executing like an individual contributor and writing code and creating pull requests and all of that stuff.
1: Yes, totally agree with that.
0: When do you think you cross that point when you can say, ah, now I've got enough people, now I've got the right structure in this organization that I I can and probably should stop coding. Like if someone's listening to this, how should they, how should they look at their own situation and say, actually, this is the point where I should be taking myself out of the code base.
1: Okay. So I think it's very important to understand how your team is organized, right? So at the beginning, let's say you're a new company, very small tech team. Probably you have one team that does everything, right? So you have one team that uh, and, and also it reflects on the architecture. Maybe you're building a monolith because you just have one team and everybody works on the same code base. Mm. Then as you grow, as you scale, you start thinking, well, okay, so I need to create different teams because the backlog is uh, too big and you know we want to separate concerns. We want to create durable teams that understand the domain of my application. Mm. And then let's say you have a team about payments and you have a team about, um, I don't know, like growth, right? Okay growth, as in like customer acquisition, once you separate those teams, the cognitive load to be on top of understanding different systems starts to be quite heavy. And, you know, you may think, OK, well, I'm CTO and I lead one team and then I hire another tech lead to lead the other team. Then, you know, as a company grow, maybe you have pro- uh, problems or maybe you have opportunities such as, OK, we, need to, we want to launch a new product, we want to expand to a different market. And you, as a CTO, you need to start being involved in those conversations. You don't want uh, your organization to take decisions without uh, understanding the impact from a technology standpoint. And as a CTO, no matter how big the company is, you are accountable for making sure it happens. It's on you to make sure that company strategic decisions are made also with thinking about the technology, uh, the technology part of the organization. And it will arrive a point in which your time, you will need to spend more time talking uh, to your CEO uh, about this or making sure that you understand the stakeholders. And, you know, I would say it's very difficult for me to say, well, it's two teams, it's four teams, it's 40 people. Mm. A heuristic that I had in my mind, when you have a team of 15 people, like two or three teams, it starts to become quite difficult to be on top of everything. So you may still think, well, I can do a a bit of code reviews here and there, maybe not coding, but maybe still follow the architecture. Uh, but I think after that point it's time for you to have somebody in your organization that helps you with that. And then of course, you know when you have twenty people, you may decide to hire a VP of engineering who may follow more the people management and the process, and you can still be a bit more on top of the architecture. Uh, I think it really depends on how you want to structure it, but as a rule of thumb, I can say once you have two or three teams, it starts getting very difficult to be on top of everything.
0: Mm. Yeah, that's definitely true. I was thinking about times when I've been in teams when I've I've either been still coding while in a CTO role or um, I've been looking for a CTO and thinking this person also needs to code as well. And the the times that came to mind were at one point where the bandwidth of my team, despite having quite a large team, the bandwidth was too low for the huge amount of stuff that needed to be done urgently. There was a load of urgent product stuff and there was a load of um, essentially security and robustness stuff that I was very worried about. And so I put a bunch of people onto the product stuff and took care of the other stuff myself. I don't think I did a brilliant job, but I at least you know put, could could write up a... A stopgap to make sure that things carried on working. We didn't accidentally leak all of our users' data. Um, The other situation I was thinking about was where I was working with a team where their software abilities were not as strong as I would have liked them to be. And it was really obvious to me that I needed to bring in a CTO into that team because I was was working there um, on a kind of consultant basis. Um, I needed to bring in a CTO who could not just tell them what good code looked like but actually demonstrate it and be involved in the software writing process as well as advocating for the technology part of the organization and implementing a technical strategy Um, and that was difficult because lots of people I interviewed as soon as they realized I was interested in their ability to code well would start telling me that it wasn't it wasn't a CTO position which I think it was um, but it was a CTO who needed to know how to code well, as well as hopefully then hiring those people who could mean that they could very quickly stop coding. One of the things I was thinking though is how how I would have handled those if I'd been a CTO who's never coded. Um, And I wondered what your thoughts are about CTOs who've maybe come into into the role via being a sort of manager of technology um, and maybe managing technical projects rather than having been a developer and potentially having never written a line of code.
1: That's an interesting one. So of course, my experience is based on the fact that I was a developer, I was a software engineer. Uh, you know, there's a concept uh, in in skills in general that it's about uh, being a T-shaped person. Uh, I think, I love that definition. So a T-shaped person for people who don't know what that means is a person that has a broad level of skills um, across uh, in a horizontal manner. So, you know, you may know, uh, let's say you're a software developer, you maybe are specialized in backend development, for example, right? So kind of APIs and systems, but also, you know, a bit about doing front end, you know, a bit about mobile development, you know, a bit about infrastructure. Uh, and I think Modern workplaces we need to aim as leaders to get to to shape people like that in a T shape I think that applies also for CTOs who come from a technology management background right uh, mm. If you never code it, I would highly recommend to do some coding, maybe not professionally, but just learn a bit of it. I think that will help you to better understand the problem that your team faces and also will increase um a bit the credibility that your team will have in you, because if they know, if, if you manage a team of developers and they know you actually have developed or at least know what you're talking about, even if you're not an expert, that makes a lot of conversations easier. I have to say that I believe the fact I've uh, been a developer, especially at Bonifarm in my organization helped me a lot in the transition because people trust me on that because they've seen my code. They know what I think about that. And now that I, I do a different job basically because it's a quite a different job. I still have that the kind of trust that's been given to me because people have seen how I code and, and everything. So for people that don't have a, a technical background in terms of software, software development, I would highly recommend to dip their toes into that. You know, do, there's a lot of free material on the internet. I know it takes time and I know it's, uh, it's about, you know, uh, activity that probably you have to do extra working hours. But reality is that, you know, I think if you are in this uh, in this role, in this job, in this profession, it's really important to keep training yourself and keep improving yourself, right? So I would suggest try to be a bit, try to know a bit
0: about the coding craft. That will make things
1: easier, in my opinion.
0: I, I think it will. I, I think you're right that it buys you credibility with your development team. It probably also improves your credibility with the executive team that you're part of as well because you you have that much more understanding i think it would also give you a stronger bullshit detector um in that if you know whether if you understand coding if you've written code before if you've been a software developer it's that much easier when someone comes to you and says this thing is really hard it's going to take 10 weeks or a year or if someone comes to you and says look we just need to Rebuild all of this because this is last year's technology, and you know everyone's using REST now. You, having that bullshit detector to be able to say that does not sound like a great use of your time, or really, it's going to take us seven weeks to add a button. That seems like a problem that we should solve because that's an awfully long time to add that one button. Uh, those are extreme examples, which I'm sure even a even someone who's never touched code would quickly be able to learn. Um, but I think they are indicative of a mo- of a general point that knowing when you should trust your team and when you should push back on things and when you should probe further and what things really are problems. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like having been a developer puts me in a better position to know those things.
1: Uh, I totally agree 100%. Actually, this is a part of my daily job, right? Also at my current organization, you know, I am the one that needs to uh, maybe challenge or maybe understand better because you know, sometimes uh, we may do. Sometimes we may think about work and not have the right context, and then we say, "Okay, well, to do this, it will take like three months." And I'm like, "Well, actually, why why you're following this approach, right? Can you change the way you think about the architecture and you know apply the YAGNI principle? You ain't gonna need it mm-hmm. uh, from my extreme programming this That's very good. And yes, it totally puts you in the position." to be able to challenge the team and also to challenge your stakeholders, because sometimes you may have a very aggressive sales partner. That's not my case, likely, but sometimes you may have a very aggressive sales partner, say, promising uh, the impossible in a very short time frame. And you know, if you have the credibility to say, actually, well, we cannot possibly do that without jeopardizing the stability of the platform uh, or building enough technical debt that it takes five years to repay, that gives you the credibility because, you know, once you are in that position, you need to make the the trade off, right? Because it's all a trade off at the end of the day.
0: Mm. So I think that applies well to both of us, Emanuele, because I think we have both been coding until relatively recently. Um, How do you think that would change for a CTO who hasn't coded for maybe 10 or 15 years and how would that change their ability to challenge their team?
1: That's a very good question. So I th- a CTO is, a, is an executive, but it's also a technologist, right? So I think it's super important to be on top of technologies. I'm expecting every CTO to kind of understand what's going on in the technology landscape. And that means doesn't mean necessarily that you need to know how to set up a Kubernetes cluster, but it means that at least you know what cloud native is, right? So that kind of a uh, different level. now. I think it's very important to never step back too much from the technical details. Uh, you know. Uh, and uh, how does that apply to the challenge? Because it happens a lot, for example, that especially if you're in a company for a while, uh, the team has a way to do things right. And that may not be the best way for whatever reason. Now, maybe we can decide we are happy with that because that's not the goal. But let's say you're not a company, the company develops software using certain uh, patterns, certain technologies, then the business growth. And of course, we all very well know that what's built to to be good for uh, a thousand customers, maybe it's not great for 100,000 customers. And that's really what people do. Maybe they, uh, they think, well, actually, this always worked. We don't want to change. We're happy with that. Uh, let's just do more of that. Like, let's add more servers, for example. That's very... That's a that's a typical example. As a CTO, I think it's very important for you to go and challenge. It's like, well, but I, I'm making it, I'm making up an example here, right? So for our listeners, like I don't necessarily uh, endorse that, but we use relational databases, and then we have a, a huge number of customers, and you know our pattern is uh, very write intensive, for example, and then we know. Databases and transaction writing may be expensive and we may not want to spend all the time. Well, why don't we use something like Cassandra, for example, as a CTO? This is kind of the challenge also you need to take to the team. You're not going there and say, change from MySQL to Cassandra. You're just putting out the question like, well, we can use event sourcing here. Or how about we we, we use more domain driven design so we can design better our systems? Even you don't code, you need to be on top of those technology trends. It's very important for you because otherwise, how can you lead the technical organization? Your role is there to kind of guide and give direction. That doesn't mean that the team has to do what you say necessarily how how you say it, but give that you know uh, give that uh, the hint like okay, let's investigate something different. In order to do that, you cannot be too stepped back from technology. So mm. it's, it's tricky, right? Because you have, to, on one side, keep abreast of new technology. On the other side, personally, what I'm doing right now is I'm trying to learn more about the business and, you know, finance and marketing because I need to be able to talk with my other uh, executives. And I want to understand more on that. Uh, and it's always about improving. And then you keep having this balance. Like, you learn a bit there, you learn a bit there. That helps
0: you, definitely. Mm. And it sounds like, what what I think you're saying is that part of the CTO's role is to take that step back from what the team are doing and say, well, hang on. Rather than having a hundred times more servers, why don't we consider a different database technology? And if that's part of the CTO's role, that's probably easier if you're not deep in the code every day, because you're not you're not. It's easier to think outside the box if you're less kind of stuck in the box in your day to day. Um, And so actually, that's probably another good argument for CTOs not to code is when they're at a stage when they want to be able to be the person who takes the step back. And uh, I'm struggling for for good metaphors here. Takes a step back and looks at the bigger picture and thinks outside (laughs) the box. (laughs) And does some blue sky thinking.
1: I wanted I wanted to say something. Actually, we can maybe attach it because both me and Howell are musician or at least Howell is a good musician. I try to be a big musician, but <laughs> it's a it's a bit like playing an instrument, right? So if you play in such a way, you play the guitar and you play always with the same technique and you got so good at it, but you're not always you're able to say, well, actually, I can play another way or with a different like with a different finger grip or with a different uh, right hand technique unless you take a step back, you think about it. It's like, well, actually I'm seeing a lot of videos of people playing like that. So it's a bit like that, like it's the muscle, because if you always code, uh, you if always write software, you are in the same company, two, three, four years. You keep doing things in such a way. And if you are so deep in the trenches, it's very difficult, as you said before, to take a step back and say, actually, there's other ways of doing this. Mm. which may be
0: better for us. Right. And it's being able to, to lose that incremental thinking and instead work out where the step change improvement could be. Yes, which is also very hard for the human brain because once
1: we, be, we, once we become good at something, it's almost like mechanic, right? I, I noted that when I was coding at certain point for certain tasks, not for everything, the code would just flow automatically. I didn't have mm. to think too much about it because I was used to code in a certain way. Or maybe, you know, I got into functional programming for some part of my career. So using Monads for me was kind of normal. A- and then it's like, well, but maybe that's not the right choice in that part, right? Mm. But then if you keep doing it, like sometimes you don't even think about it. It just becomes muscle memory.
0: Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was trying to think of um, everything that we've we've talked about that feels like it's part of how people should make the decision. A list of the, the factors that you should take into account when working out whether a CTO should still be coding. And so those include things like the size of the team, um, the team's bandwidth and any surges that they need to make on, on doing work, the maturity of the team, um, the capability of the team, um, and also, I think the other demands of of being a CTO and the size of those, um, you know, your how heavy your involvement is with the rest of the executive team. Is there anything else that you think I should add to that? Uh, so, for me, the CTO role is
1: a is a peculiar one in a way because there's no uh, there's no recipe for being a CTO, right? That's not that the CTO does X, Y, and Z and it's like this everywhere, as we said. I think a lot depends also on the people you have in your organization. Maybe you have somebody who's really, really capable of managing teams and processes. And, you know, maybe it's great uh, at uh, agile or, you know, like making sure the team really can uh, can give value incrementally. And then you can be a bit more technical. Or maybe you have a very strong princi- principal engineer, a very strong architect. And, you know, you can take that step back a bit earlier. I think the commonalities, though, is that after a certain point, you really your th- it's important that you use your time for what the company expects from you, and I would argue that after a certain point, it's not coding anymore.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think that's definitely true. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Emmanuel. I really hope that we've given people some some food for thought and some ideas for how they can judge their own position and how much coding they should be doing or whether they should be coding at all. That's it for this week's episode. Next time I'll be answering the question, should I replatform? Joined by Rich Kershaw.